Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode features discussion of animal mutilation that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13. On the morning of September 8, 1967, Harry King, the eldest son of Agnes King, ventured out to tend to the daily tasks on the ranch. Lady, the three-year-old Appaloosa mare, was missing. She was well-trained and wasn't known to stray from the rest of the horses. Harry set out to find the missing horse. An hour passed until he finally came upon a carcass in a meadow a quarter mile north of the main ranch house. As Harry approached the fallen animal, he was in disbelief at what he saw. Lady's mutilated carcass lay helpless on the ground. Her back half was completely intact, but all the flesh and tissue from her shoulders to her nose had been scraped clean, exposing stark white bones. Lady's ears had been cut off, along with her once thick, long mane. Harry had never seen anything like it. Her skull looked as if it had been baking in the sun for days, and the cut along her neck was smooth and deliberate. It was the most horrific thing he had ever seen. Harry didn't know it yet, but the same thing was happening to other animals all across the American West. Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed, but our obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial on the ParCast Network. I'm Tim. And I'm Bill. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters with beings from another world. We're aware that some of these tales may seem completely unbelievable. Others may seem all too real. But these stories shed light on human nature, human beliefs, and human psychology. And each story has garnered hundreds, if not millions, of true believers. And for that reason, we think they're worth exploring. Today, we're discussing the death and disfigurement of Lady, also known as Snippy, one of the first mainstream cattle mutilations reported in the U.S. in 1967. Next week, we'll dive into the larger history of cattle mutilation and the United States government's attempts to investigate the phenomenon. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to ParCast.com merch for more information. Cattle mutilation, also known as bovine excision or unexplained livestock death, 
is the killing and mutilation of livestock under unusual or unexplained circumstances. Reports of cattle mysteriously turning up dead with their blood drained and certain organs and body parts missing can be found as early as the 1600s. For example, a private document from the Court of James I of England dated February 10th, 1606, suggests his kingdom was familiar with such occurrences. The entry describes whole flocks of sheep being discovered slaughtered with their tallow and some inward parts missing. But this hardly compares to what happened in the United States in September 1975 when 70 official reports of cattle mutilation were made in Colorado alone. Cases continued piling up and cattle mutilation no longer seemed like a fringe conspiracy theory. Some hypothesized that the United States government was the culprit experimenting on or performing weapons tests on farm animals. Others believe that animal mutilation was caused by psychopaths, Satanists, or disturbed juveniles. But many ranchers believed the horrific deaths were caused by extraterrestrials. The livestock's missing body parts were often reported as being removed with surgical precision. Even stranger, there were no incisions left over only beings with advanced technology could be capable of such a feat. Oddly enough, the incident that prompted the connection between cattle mutilation and extraterrestrials did not involve a cow nor a sheep, but a horse that was brutally mutilated in 1967. On September 8, 1967, the Kings, a hardworking, salt-of-the-earth family, would be forever changed by the unexplained circumstances surrounding their horse, Lady. The King's main ranch house sat 10 miles southeast of the Great Sand Dunes, a recognized marvel of Colorado's San Luis Valley. The family matriarch, Agnes King, lived on the ranch with her three adult children, Harry, Ben, and Nellie. The Kings were accustomed to the paranormal, as each family member had seen their fair share of strange phenomena, as had many of their neighbors. Those that lived by the King's Ranch reported seeing tiny jets, no more than 12 feet long, darting through the area in early 1967. Multiple reports claimed these small craft were dive-bombing cars on the Dunes Road. At one point, a search party was put together to find the entrance to where these craft were exiting and entering, but no entrance could be found. The disfigurement of Lady on September 8, 1967, left the entire King family shaken, but none more so than Nellie Lewis. 45-year-old Nellie was a striking woman with perfectly curled short hair and soft features. She was passionate and bold, and she wasn't going to take Lady's death sitting down. The horse had meant a lot to her. It was sired by her husband's own stallion, Snippy. And so, her first course of action was to contact local law enforcement. Shortly after Lady's body was discovered, Nellie called Ben Phillips, the county sheriff, to try and make sense of the occurrence. Upon hearing Nellie's retelling, he concluded that the incident was nothing more than a lightning strike. However, there was no sign of burn marks on the horse's body, and the sheriff made no attempt to venture to the ranch house. He believed the case was cut and dry. Nellie decided to investigate the matter herself, convinced that a lightning strike didn't explain what had happened to Lady. She was aware of UFO sightings in the area in the weeks leading up to Lady's death, 
and felt in her gut that the sightings and her horse's mutilation were connected. Nellie reached out to farmers, a game warden, a health department officer, and a veterinarian to explain the situation. She wanted to get as many opinions from as many different fields as possible. All of these professionals confirmed that a lightning strike wouldn't cause the injuries found on Lady's body. On September 16, 1967, a week after the body was discovered, Nellie, her husband Harry, and a few friends went to take a closer look at the site of the mutilation. There had been a lot of rain in the previous weeks, and so Lady left deep hoof prints in the mud. Harry followed these tracks to piece together Lady's final few hours. The three horses had been rapidly galloping toward the main house. Lady was cut off from the group suddenly, seemingly redirected by some unknown force. Once Lady was separated from the group, her prints showed her running the opposite direction for hundreds of yards until she finally halted. However, her body was found a good distance from where she had stopped. Not only were there no hoof prints, but there were no prints at all. No sign of how the body was moved to its final resting place. It was as if someone or something had stopped Lady, lifted her into the air, and placed her body at its current location. Nellie and Harry also discovered burn marks near Lady's body. The burn marks were about 20 feet from the carcass and made out an upside-down question mark shape. Was the symbol a coincidence or a sign? And if it was a sign, was it a message or a warning? The group also discovered what was described as giant horse tracks next to a flattened bush near the body. Nellie inspected the bush and found horse hair that matched the color of Lady's mane. Nellie was convinced that the hair belonged to her beloved horse. The hair was stuck in what Nellie described as a mysterious glob. Too frightened to touch it with her hands, Nellie prodded the glob with sticks she had found nearby. When she punctured the glob, a green substance poured out from it. Nellie wanted to take the substance with her in the car, but Burl didn't want the stuff anywhere near him or his wife, as he was too afraid of what it could be. After Nellie returned home about a half hour later, she started to panic. Her hand felt like it was burning. She raced to the sink, turned on the water, and started scrubbing her hands, desperately wishing the pain would stop. Her hands were becoming red. Streaks began appearing on them as if they had been singed. An hour passed and the pain slowly faded away, but Nellie was convinced now more than ever that something sinister had been done to her horse. Luckily, she now had more evidence to suggest that the circumstances of Lady's death were unnatural. She reached out to UFO experts to see if they were willing to visit the ranch. Later in September of 1967, NICAP, the National Investigations Committee for Aerial Phenomena, came to investigate the corpse. Nellie told them about the mysterious glob she had discovered, and they took a sample for testing. In interviews with the press, Nellie openly discussed her skepticism about the investigation. She felt as though the government was somehow involved in a cover-up and wanted to discredit Nellie and her family in order to put the public at ease. Nellie's distrust in the government was a commonly held opinion at the time, especially among small-town ranchers. 
Prior to the Vietnam War, many felt that the U.S. government's sole priority was to protect its citizens, that government officials always had the country's best interest at heart. But in 1967, distrust of the government was on the rise. The war had been raging for 10 years, and young men were dying, all for the vague goal of combating communism. John F. Kennedy had been assassinated just four years earlier, race riots were common in major cities, and spies from both the Soviet Union and the United States were being discovered in both countries. None of this gave American citizens confidence in their government. The late 60s also saw the escalation of both the American and Soviet space programs, leading to a combined sense of dread and wonder as man journeyed into the stars. This environment of cynicism and suspicion gave birth to a belief in government conspiracies and cover-ups. And so, naturally, Nellie and others like her began to suspect that the United States was somehow connected to the massive amount of cattle mutilation reports. When the government failed to take action to address the growing concerns of ranchers, this suspicion only grew. Was the government ignoring the phenomenon because they were trying to cover up the existence of extraterrestrials? What the Kings didn't realize was that, regardless of the truth, the public had caught wind of Lady's story. In just a few short days, their ranch was to become one of the most popular tourist destinations in all of Colorado. Next up, Nellie takes on increasingly sinister forces in her pursuit of the truth. And now, back to the story. It was September 23, 1967. Colorado rancher Nellie Lewis demanded to know the truth behind the killing and mutilation of her beloved horse, Lady, who had been found dead two weeks earlier. Fueled by her belief that authorities didn't have her best interest at heart, she decided to take the investigation into her own hands, refusing to trust anyone else. Nellie reached out to local ranger Dwayne Martin for help. Duane, who worked at the U.S. Forest Service, made a trip to the farm to test the area with a Geiger counter for increased levels of radiation. Duane determined that there was an increase in radiation readings near the four burn marks in the meadow where Lady had been found. However, those readings decreased when the counter was moved over to Lady's corpse. Oddly enough, Duane found additional evidence of radiation on the boots of Burl Lewis, Nellie's husband. At the time, Nellie and her family believed this was only further proof of the extraterrestrial theory. However, Martin later confessed that he'd only used the Geiger counter in an enclosed space for training purposes and never actually out in the field. This calls the authenticity of his readings into question, as it's unclear if he truly understood how to interpret the counter's readings. But at the time, the findings only increased the mystery surrounding the dead horse, and it didn't take long for word to get out. Shortly after Lady's death, rumors of the horse began spreading locally, and people began showing up at the ranch, wanting to see the body for themselves. The kings were dismayed by this, as they valued their privacy and did not want their lives or land to be further disturbed. Harry attempted to keep those who wanted to see the site restricted to just that area of the ranch. Regardless, once news of the alien theory caught on, spectators started coming by the hundreds. 
The kings were soon overwhelmed by the volume of people who wanted to take a look at Lady's macabre remains. While the ranch was becoming a local attraction, the family was still searching for answers. They hoped that an autopsy would give them some clue as to what led to Lady's gruesome death. Toward the end of September 1967, Dr. John Altshuler ran into a ranger when returning from a camping trip in the Great Sand Dunes. After discovering he was a doctor, the ranger asked John if he would mind taking a look at the disfigured horse. Equipment was arranged, and John soon found himself standing above the body, surrounded by the curious kings as well as other onlookers. The autopsy was especially foul work. The body had been decomposing in the wild for days, possibly weeks, and it was, of course, initially mutilated in a disgusting manner. John opened the horse's brain cavity. What he discovered shocked him and the onlookers who frequented the site. Her skull was empty. No brain, no water, no fluid of any kind. This wasn't just strange. It was impossible. Before John's incision, there was no opening in the cranial cavity. It simply didn't track that someone could have not only removed the brain, but left the skull dry and spotless inside. Next, as John cut open Lady's abdomen, everyone was again shocked by what they saw. As with the brain, all of the organs had been removed. What's more, there had been no signs of surgery on Lady's exterior. The cuts were clean. Actually, they were perfect. No tools existed that would allow this kind of precise extraction. And certainly, there was no one in this small Colorado town with the skills to pull this off. John conducted the autopsy anonymously and did not come out publicly with his findings until an interview for Linda Moulton Howe's 1989 book, An Alien Harvest. In the 1989 interview, John recalls, the outer edges of the cut skin were firm, almost as if they had been cauterized with a modern-day laser, but there was no surgical laser technology like that in 1967. At the time John conducted the autopsy, he didn't want to jeopardize his medical career by reporting impossible facts about what he had discovered. However, Nellie was adamant about what she and 20 other witnesses saw. Nellie couldn't understand why Dr. Altshuler wouldn't publicly state his shocking discovery. After all, it was the truth. She only became further paranoid in her belief that the world was working against her. In 1993, more than 30 years after the incident, an interview with Nellie's husband, Burl Lewis, recounts the events surrounding the horse's strange demise. Burl had heard tales of UFO sightings in the area. They weren't unusual, but he hadn't started really taking an interest until Lady turned up dead. He was always spooked by the precision with which the horse was dissected. No butcher would be able to make an animal's bones look like they had been scraped clean. Not to mention, Lady's eyeballs, tongue, esophagus, and windpipe were gone. What kind of butcher knew how to remove all of that? He had to admit that he didn't know what ultimately caused Lady's death. Unlike his wife, he didn't believe aliens were behind the horse's demise. 
But it was strange that after 30 years, no one could provide a definitive answer to this mystery. Burrell recalled some of his personal encounters with the unexplainable. One night, sitting on the porch of his home, he remembered seeing what looked like a switchboard out on the ranch. He saw lights flashing, shooting out through the night sky, almost like lightning bugs darting around. Burl didn't investigate, but instead watched the light show, which lasted for close to three hours. He had never put much stock in his neighbor's reports of UFOs, but this changed his mind. And Burl wasn't the only one whose opinion was changed. Due to these various sightings and the publicized autopsy report, United States Air Force investigators finally responded to Nellie's request for an investigation. This was about three weeks after Lady's death. Two men, Dr. Adams and Dr. Ayers, arrived at the ranch. They were representatives of the Condon Committee, which was based out of the nearby University of Colorado. Its mission was to assess the growing UFO phenomenon from a scientific perspective. Though the members of the committee were not actually government agents, they were trained scientists who received funding from the Air Force. Despite their impressive credentials, the two scientists' findings were somewhat underwhelming. They concluded that the horse was simply killed by passing hunters, even going as far as to infer that Lady's death could have been a mercy killing. Nellie, who spent her entire life on a farm, adamantly disagreed. Nellie insisted that a mercy killing would have been performed with a knife under the horse's throat. The cuts on Lady were made with smooth, almost surgical precision. Dr. Adams and Dr. Ayers provided an equally limp explanation as to the strong medicinal smell that Harry, Nellie, and other witnesses had reported. They claimed that the smell was simply that of thistle growing nearby. Nellie found this implication to be insulting. The family was all familiar with the surrounding landscape and its flora. Nellie felt that the men were simply sent to discredit the family and not to actually discover the truth as to what happened. Dr. Ayer's findings made it into the famous Condon Report, where these conclusions are detailed. Released in 1969, this was the committee's final summary of their research into UFOs. Though it debunked many UFO stories using scientific methods, it also flippantly dismissed several unexplainable cases. The report mentions how the carcass was too decomposed for a proper autopsy, but evidence suggested that there was an infection in the horse's leg that may have killed, or at least disabled it. As for the removal of Lady's flesh around her head and neck, they believed magpies and possibly other birds caused this. The doctors also addressed the heightened radioactivity. They found that when they questioned Dwayne Martin about his findings, he confessed that the meter only registered slight activity two weeks after the carcass was found. They also reported that the burn areas were likely from soil containing carbonates that dissolve organic matter and blackened soil or crusts, known as black alkali, which is found in highly alkaline areas. As for the missing organs, it was determined to be nothing out of the ordinary for a carcass dead several weeks. Needless to say, Nellie was unsatisfied with each of these findings. Though most of the kings were tired of the constant swarms of people coming through their land, Nellie wanted to continue to push the issue. 
In the first week of October 1967, a little over a month after Lady's death, Nellie's friend, Pearl Mellon Nicholas, published a story in the Valley Courier about the incident. Nellie was quoted as saying, flying saucers killed my horse, and the press ran with the headline. The article spread like wildfire. Multiple news outlets wanted to get in on the sensational and unexplained death of Lady. They all wrote their take on the mystery. The story eventually became national and then international news. However, the more widespread the news became, the more facts became misconstrued. Even basic details became twisted. The gender of the horse was misprinted multiple times, and even Lady, the actual name of the horse, became confused with Snippy, which was the name of Burl's horse. Despite this sensationalism, it became clear that there was still a lack of interest in finding out what truly happened to Lady. In an interview with Nellie shortly after the incident, Nellie expressed her willingness to take a lie detector test, but no one took her up on the offer. Nellie's belief in a cover-up led to her refusing to bury Lady's body. She feared that if she did, the government would be able to claim that nothing strange had happened at all. This took extra strength on Nellie's part because, after the autopsy, the sight of Lady's body was even more horrific. Her stomach had been split open and her head had been cut off. Two years after Lady's death, residents said that no grass would grow on the site where the carcass was found. This was a permanent, eerie reminder of the horse that died an unnatural death. As time went on, Nellie's friends recall her behavior changing as she became obsessed with extraterrestrials. She was also intrigued by anything dealing with the occult, even going as far as to use a Ouija board. Nellie, Burl, and Pearl Nicholas, the writer of the original Lady newspaper article, watched the night skies almost every night for months after Lady's death in hopes of seeing further evidence of extraterrestrials. The group would park their car off to the side of a deserted road. At night, the area was pitch black and offered a beautiful view of the night sky. Most nights, there wasn't anything to see. But on one occasion, around 12.30 a.m., Burl noticed a small pinpoint of light. In the darkness, he could make out a faint outline of something about 35 feet wide and 100 feet long. Burl described the outline as a metal half-dome building. It was as if a building had suddenly appeared in the forest. Perhaps it wasn't a building, but a UFO. And through the darkness, Burl could see one of its occupants coming toward them. Up next, the Lewises experience their first alien encounter, and we find out whether Nellie's UFO obsession pushed her over the edge of sanity. And now, back to the story. In 1967, Nellie Lewis of Colorado's San Luis Valley had become obsessed with the UFOs supposedly stalking her community. UFO sightings were on the rise, and no one could provide a satisfying explanation. But now, Nellie, her husband Burl, and her friend Pearl Nicholas were experiencing a sighting of their own. While Burl, Nellie, and Pearl looked on, they noticed something was moving towards them from the forest. A dark figure towering at nine feet. 
Nellie started to become hysterical, so Burl rushed everyone into the car. They stepped on the gas and headed north, but Burl couldn't help himself and had to get another look. He took out a pair of binoculars, and sure enough, the building was still there. He considered leaving the women there and going back to get a closer look, but he wasn't sure if he or his marriage would survive that decision. Turning back to the wheel, he agreed to drive everyone back to the ranch. It was only about 20 minutes away. As Nellie entered the kitchen, she stared at the wall clock, a confused look on her face. Had she fallen asleep in the car? How could it be so late already? It was 3 a.m. when only 20 minutes ago, it had been a quarter before midnight. Burl checked the other clocks in the house for confirmation. They didn't know it, but they were experiencing a symptom common to many UFO abductees, lost time. It's possible that the trio didn't escape the strange building and the strange figure in the woods at all. Within those three hours, they may have been captives aboard a UFO. After this incident, Nellie only became more paranoid. Paranormal events seemed to occur wherever she went. For example, in a later interview, Burl Lewis remembered taking a photo of Nellie and her mother outside of a candy shop. When the photo was developed, Burl noticed something shocking. There appeared to be an alien spacecraft in the sky behind them. The craft was shaped like a missile with a small propeller protruding from the top. It was hovering inches above Nellie and her mother. But Nellie didn't find this strange at all. She was convinced that extraterrestrials were intrinsically connected to her. Nellie Lewis's friends recall her once eerily stating, beings would come for me and my mother on the same day. Years passed, providing few answers. Lady's remains stayed on the King's Ranch. While her mother and her siblings tried to move on, she became more entrenched in ufology and spiritualism. Then, in June 1976, Agnes King, the matriarch of the King family, passed away. The family buried her on June 24, 1976, at the Uraca Cemetery in southern Colorado. After the funeral, Burl Lewis took his car and went into the city with a few of the funeral attendees. Nellie said she didn't feel up to the outing and would meet him at home instead. When Burl returned home, Nellie wasn't there, and so he returned to the cemetery. There, he found Nellie's cold, lifeless body slumped over in her car. She had committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. Burl said there were no signs of Nellie having suicidal thoughts, and he couldn't understand why she did it. Some townspeople questioned whether it was foul play, that perhaps Nellie had been right, and beings came for her and her mother on the same day. After Nellie's passing, the Lewis family donated Lady's remains to the Luther Bean Museum at Adams State College. Lady was displayed there until the 1980s, when she was taken by a local collector, Carl Heflin. Heflin passed away in 2003, and the horse became the property of his estate. In 2006, Frank Duran, a marketing specialist, was hired by the estate to help auction off the horse's skeleton on eBay. 
The owner was confident that the bones would sell for $30,000, but the auction was a flop, with the highest bid being $1,800. Although, all things considered, that's a decent amount of money for decades-old horse bones. Many may have turned their noses up at Lady and Nellie's story, but in the years following Nellie's death, reports of livestock mutilation in the American West skyrocketed. In July 1975, in Cascade County, Montana, a rancher reported his heifer found dead inside a trampled 18-foot circle of grass. The animal was missing each of its teats. Mysteriously, the rancher had earlier seen red blinking lights on his land. On August 26, 1975, Jim Braden of Southern Colorado reported that his steer was discovered dead and missing the tail, tongue, penis, and right ear. The animal was also drained of blood. Several days after that incident, a 400-pound calf was found with its tongue, ear, genitals, and tail missing. And, perhaps most horrifically, on October 21, 1975, a 1,500-pound bison was found mutilated at the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado Springs. The bison's udder, ear, and female reproductive organs were precisely removed, and very little blood remained in the animal. With pressure mounting, Governor Richard Lamb finally addressed the concerns in a statement to the Colorado Cattlemen's Association. He offered a $5,000 reward for the arrest and conviction of any found cattle mutilators. However, no such group or person was found. Other states, such as Wyoming, were also hit by waves of cattle mutilation, and by late August of 1975, an estimated 60 livestock had been sexually mutilated in that state. Though the cases varied, the primary evidence remained the same. Body parts of cattle were removed with surgical precision. The cattle's blood was drained, and there was no evidence of butchering or surgery. Many of the ranchers who experienced the mutilation of their cattle also reported seeing helicopters flying low to the ground on the day of, or days prior to, the mutilation. This fueled the theory that the government was perhaps behind the deaths of the livestock. The ranchers weren't just concerned for their animals. This was their livelihood. Their property was being violently taken from them, and it seemed that the government was not taking action. Law enforcement didn't take the report seriously, despite the widespread accounts. Most assumed that the animals were falling victim to predators or weirdos. Cattle mutilation still occurs today, with the reports often reading nearly identically to what was described in decades prior. On September 8, 2018, John Mahan, a rancher in Williams, Arizona, experienced a cattle mutilation on his land. Mahan noticed his bull and pregnant cow were missing when he went out to round up his cattle for feeding. Mahan had just started building his herd. The bull and cow were the first livestock he had purchased. In fact, his extended family pulled their money together in order to help him do so. Mahan wasn't able to find the animals until the 10th of September. When he saw them lying there, at first he thought someone had shot them. But as he examined the bodies further, he was shocked at what he found. 
Mahan called Arizona Livestock Inspector Royal Reedhead. He felt that the inspector's expertise would be needed. Reedhead arrived at the ranch the next day, September 11th. Reedhead was familiar with the area, having lived there for many years. This wasn't the first cattle mutilation that he'd come across. But it was a nasty one. Both cows had apparently been poisoned. In a similar scene to the lady mutilation, the cattle both had sections of skin missing, their sexual organs had been removed, and their blood was drained. Reedhead determined that the cattle were killed for their body parts. He also noted that it was strange no scavengers had touched the bodies. His final conclusion was that the livestock were murdered by professionals who were looking to make a quick buck. Reedhead is quoted by the Williams News as saying, I believe the people are trained how to cut the organ and take the parts of these animals without hitting other organs or ruining what they are taking. They know what they are doing. But this is ultimately just a theory. And so the mystery still remains. Who is mutilating these animals and why? Decades after the death of Lady, and no one has the answers. Skeptics continue to claim it's just animals or criminals, and believers continue to push the extraterrestrial theory. But if the aliens are mutilating livestock, to what end? Are they conducting research, performing experiments, creating strange Frankenstein monsters? One internet commenter claims they've encountered several mutilations in Oklahoma. Their theory? The aliens are using the cattle to incubate Bigfoots. It's clear that this is a topic that can quickly stray from rational thoughts, Nellie Lewis being a prime example. Cattle mutilation is horrific, and when it befalls an animal that someone is close to, such as a prized horse, the results are that much more traumatic. But to find the real source of the phenomenon, it's important to look past emotion and conspiracy and parse the facts. As if the extraterrestrial theory wasn't exciting enough, some of the other potential causes of cattle mutilation are even stranger. Next week on Extraterrestrial, we'll perform our own investigation into alternate cattle mutilation theories. We'll cover everything from satanic cult sacrifices to the legendary creature known as the Chupacabra. You can listen to Extraterrestrial and all of ParCast's other shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. We'll be back next week. Until then, don't forget to keep your eyes on the sky. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Paul Liebeskind, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Extraterrestrial is written by Sasha Guerin and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson. <laughs>